Amen to that. Welcome to Impact Church this morning. Are you guys excited to be here on Father's Day? Amen. We get to celebrate our dads, our fathers, those who have, have raised us, loved us, and uh, the reason why we're here. So uh, praise God for our fathers, for, especially for godly fathers, for men that lead us toward Jesus and point us toward true spiritual north, not a shifting magnetic north, but a true spiritual north of Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. So welcome and happy Father's Day. If you're visiting with us today, here maybe it's your first time, second, third, fourth time, welcome to Impact Church. Uh, we hope if the Lord is kind of has you on a, a search for a church home that he would lead you right here. God's doing an amazing work. We would love for you to be a part of it. So take the time, fill out a connection card. We have a on the back of chairs, I think some are still present. You'll see uh, barcodes you can scan with your phone app, and uh, you can go ahead and fill that out. Let us know that you're worshiping with us so we can pray with you, and we hope the Lord leads you right here to call home. So welcome this morning. And uh, guys, you're coming off a, a very busy few weeks of ministry. We're always busy around here, aren't we? I mean, God just is really doing a great work. There's always something going on. We are actually very uncommonly busy for a church of our age and our size. I'm just going to tell you that. The, the events, the things we have going on, the size of the community events. We had our Color Run uh, Kids Night for Vacation Bible School. Just last week we did a, a, a Feats of Strength presentation for those of you that came back and, and saw that. Last Sunday evening, God really moved. People made decisions for Christ. That's what it was all about. The enemy again tried to distract. If those of you that were here, it rained probably three inches in five minutes. I'm not kidding. It was so loud on this tent, I had to yell in the microphone to, to hear through the speakers. And uh, rain come pouring in, and uh, it was a mess. But uh, God got the glory and, and the victory, as he always does. But, man, I don't know about y'all, but y'all have been around here for a few years. Every time we set up to do Feats of Strength, now it rains. Y'all notice that? I mean, it set, set the bricks up, going to give the gospel to somebody, and boy, Satan just asked the Lord, hey, drop some rain on that thing, see if we can mess them up. And uh, the Lord says, yeah, I'll drop some rain on them. You're going to see it ain't going to mess them up, though, And uh, so because he gets the glory for that. But because it always happens, I thought about starting a new 501c3 with the ministry team, man. It's going to change its name to Power Source Feature Strength, change it to Power Source Mobile Irrigation Services Incorporated. <laughs> you know, you got a farm, you need some rain on it this summer. Just let us come out, draw a crowd, we'll set the bricks up, give the gospel, and it's guaranteed to rain. And you can give a donation to God's ministry. There you go. So there's my joke for today. I'm not much a comedian. I'll keep my day job. But guys, happy Father's Day. And we have a message today the Lord has led us to in the book of Philippians that is very timely today because we're going to be talking about leaving a legacy, running a race and leaving a legacy is going to be the theme behind this passage today. And as we think about our fathers, we know that our fathers leave a legacy for us. There's more than just the legacy of a, of a last name, more than just the legacy of a family or a tradition, but it's the legacy of what's left behind for us to take up and carry what he laid down in front of us. For many of us, that may not be the best example. Some of us have had maybe fathers that, earthly fathers, that were not the greatest examples. And, and, and the example that they set may not be an example that we want to carry through. But I want to tell you, if that's the case, that we can still offer grace and mercy, forgive our, our earthly fathers for where they have fallen, but make no excuse for us, dads, in the, the legacy that we need to now live and lead and leave for our families. 
because we have the ultimate example. We have a heavenly father who is perfect and laid down the perfect example regardless of our mistakes or the mistakes of the dads before us. But to leave a legacy as a dad, a true spiritual legacy, it's going to be by how we live, how we love, and how we lead. And I want you to think about those three big words today, everybody, but especially dads today as we focus on our fathers and and, and the men that God has called to be the spiritual leadership of our households, of our families, of our kids, that we have a, a, uh, a gap today that needs to be filled And it's for godly men to step up and lead our families, to lead our families toward Christ, to to lead our families by example, and and not just a a voice, and not just a a, a stern word, but, but to lead by a life that's lived for Christ, that exemplifies his love, and leads everybody toward Jesus. You know, because we know that as a dad, man, it's our responsibility to, to teach our, our boys how to be men, right? And, and we're big on maybe teaching them to be tough and, and, and don't cry, boy, or don't quit. And we want to teach them the masculinity stuff. But how much do we focus on teaching them the spiritual stuff? How much do we focus not so much on can you hit so hard you knock the guy's helmet off and focus more on Can you stand strong, son, in a world that's going the opposite direction for Jesus? Let me show you how to do it by how I live my life. That's the strength and power that we should be pushing in our kids. And not just our boys, because we know we teach our daughters how a man should treat a lady. And and you are an example to her of what a godly man in her life should look like. And if you don't set that example Don't be surprised when she runs off with a piece of trash because that's what she learned about how a man was to treat a lady. Guys, we have to set the example and we have to accept the example by Christ being ours, like we talked about a few weeks ago, modeling, and then us living it out so others can model our example because it's about leaving a legacy. So many times the Apostle Paul alludes to our spiritual life as a race. Did you know that? I mean, if you read all of his letters, if you read through the New Testament, so many times he alludes to our spiritual walk as a race. And if you think of a race, this isn't a sprint. Because so many of us, man, like on a a good diet, on a good New Year's resolution, you start strong, but two, three weeks into that bad boy, you're out of gas, right? You lose focus. It's too tough. It's too hard. You started strong, but you didn't finish well. Well, guys, we cannot do that spiritually. We cannot do it. We cannot start strong and then let off the gas because we get tired, because we get fatigued, because we get discouraged, because we don't see the the fruitfulness of our labor or however you want to look at it. We have to stay determined that this is a race that we are going to finish, and we're going to finish it strong. And when you think of this race, we know it's not a sprint, but it's an endurance race. It's a race that's set with a different mindset, that there's going to be obstacles ahead. There's going to be pain ahead. Those of you that are long-distance runners, you know that there's a point where your mind says stop, right? And you have to overcome that because your body can go farther than your mind will let it. Did you know that? Every single time. And the same is true spiritually. You can do more through Christ than your fleshly mind and heart will let you do if you let God work through you. 
and to resolve to finish the race. And I love to think of this race today as we think about an endurance race, a spiritual legacy that we want to leave. I love to think of it as a relay race because I don't know if you know this or not, but your life's not all about you. You see it at A cross-country race, yes, you're running for a team, but it's all in how you perform, right? But if you think about a relay race where you have four runners that take part in one race, that's the endurance race that you're in because this race isn't just about you. It's about who you pass the baton to after you, who passed the baton to you, and how are you going to run it? You see the example that God wants to set for us today? So we want to think about our spiritual walk, this legacy that we leave, all of us, not just dads, but all of us, how are we living for Christ? How are we running the race? How are we carrying the baton? And how are we gonna pass it to those beyond us? Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear gracious heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, the reason we were here, Lord, we thank you for your example. Lord, that we have a heavenly Father, Lord, who loves us, who will never leave us or forsake us, the promise is to stick closer than a brother. And Lord, you sent your only son to die on a cross for us. Jesus, you gave your life for us, for your children, that we could become and be called a child of God. Lord, help us today to hear from you, Lord, our example, an example that set through your word, through Paul and Philippians today, Lord, of how we are to set ourselves in a path, in a direction, and with an attitude to never quit. Lord, that we're going to finish a race, that we're going to run the race for you, that we're going to run it well, and we're not going to give up until the prize is attained. So Lord, help us to hear the truth of your word, and none of us leave here the same as we came in. Lord, we want to be different. We long to be moved by you that we can make an impact for Christ. That's why we're here. And we give you all the glory for what you're about to do in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, we're in Philippians chapter three. We're going to be in verses 12 through 16 today. Verses 12 through 16, and I love the header that that my Bible gives for this passage. It's pressing toward the goal, right? Pressing toward the goal, because we should have in our minds a spiritual goal, a spiritual mindset that we're trying to attain. Let's look at what Paul here wrote as we follow through Philippians 3. Verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, To the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So jumping off the page right here in this passage is this idea of a prize, 
of how we're to run for a prize. What is this prize? Let, let, let us ask that right off the bat. What do you think this prize is? Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but this passage is part of a, a whole letter. So we can't just extract this passage by itself and make up our own definition as to what we think the prize is. Can everybody agree with that? Because there's three things that are important as you read the Bible. It's context, context, and context, right? So we have to look at this passage in light of what God has already said through Paul. We have to look at it in terms of what has been laid out before us, what has been laid out before us. You've heard the messages the past three weeks if we've been here, but it's been a call to something different. We've laid out how, how God wants to work and move in us and how it's not about our own works of righteousness. It's about Christ's righteousness in us, moving us. And we see what Paul laid out specifically last week, and he says, man, that, that I want to know him, okay? I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want, to, I want in the fellowship of his suffering. I want to be conformed to his death by any means that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And we talked about this new life, this, this new walk. And that's what he's talking about. That's the prize. Do you get that? So it's not just the prize is, I want to just get to heaven one day. All right? Again, we're not living the Christian life. We're not doing works to go to heaven. We're doing good works because we're saved. And then there's this process called sanctification that we talk about so many times here at Impact. We're justified when we come to Christ through the finished work on the cross. But then this sanctification process is to take place if you're truly a follower of Jesus. You see, sanctification, a life lived, and the word sanctification means set apart. Did you know that? That's set apart. So God calls us to be sanctified, which means he's calling us to be set apart from the world and from sin. Make no mistake. If Christ is in you, the Holy Spirit is in you, he is moving you in some form or some fashion away from worldliness and sin, or else you better gut check your heart and see if you're really of the faith. Can I just go ahead and tell you that? If that's not your desire, your hunger inside you, maybe you just believe, but you don't know him. Can I just be very, very clear from scripture? That there is a call, and you can go back and listen to the previous week's messages to get the full sound of that. But there is a new heart, a new desire in us. And let's be honest, we all move at different paces, right? Some of us a little more hard-headed than others. Wives, you don't have to elbow your men right now, okay? Some of us move along this sanctification process at different speeds. It's not an immediate process, but there's a process. And there's a, a gradual movement of Christ in your life to set you apart, that's the story. All right, so we see this prize that, that Paul is talking about. So now we know what we're after. Because this prize is the prize and it's the goal. All right, it's both. It's what we're trying to attain and it's what we will attain. All right, so the sanctification process is never completed while we're alive. The only day that we are perfected is when we're in heaven in glory and we become glorified. So it's from justified to sanctified to glorified one day in heaven, all right? So there, we see the prize of what Paul is talking about. I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, fellowship in his suffering, all this stuff we've talked about. Guys, Paul made it his priority. I want you to think about that. Paul made it his priority. What's your priority today? 
Men, we're talking to you today. You're on the spotlight today. What's your priority? Is your priority to make a bunch of money, climb the clinical ladder, form great relationships? Is your priority to go hunting every time you get a chance, even if you've got to skip church, fishing? Is your priority to play sports and, and do something above the calling of God on your life? What's your priority? It's okay to do all those things as long as they don't take the place and the priority that God's supposed to have in your life. Because what, what happens, what is that called when something takes a priority over God? It's an idol. And what did you just do if we form an idol and put something before God? You just broke what? The Ten Commandments. You've done fallen short. You're living in sin. We can't put anything before the utmost pursuit of God. All right? So our pursuit is him and him alone. Everything else falls secondary. Paul prioritized that in his life. So we see the prize. So now let's look at ways through Scripture, digging out through this passage of six ways that we are to run the race of a spiritual legacy. We're going to look at six ways that we run the race of a spiritual legacy. The first one, right off the bat, we get is we're to be relentless toward the goal. We need to be relentless toward the goal. What does relentless mean? You think of the word relentless. It means nothing can stop you. There's nothing else shading or in your way. That there is a determination in your soul that you are striving toward what Christ wants you to be. Is that your goal? Are you relentless for Jesus today? I'm going to be honest with you. It's okay if you say no right now. That's why you're here. To get it right today. Say, Lord, I've messed up in the past. I've got this wrong. I've got my priorities all messed up. I want to get them right today. That's the beautifulness of, of Christ, of the redemption and the redeeming love of your heavenly Father. Just like when, when your earthly son messes up or your earthly daughter as a father, do, do you just cancel them out for the rest of their life because they mess up? Or are you so proud of them when they admit their mistakes and they realize it and they choose to, hey, Dad, I want to do different next time. I want to please you. I want to honor you. Man, do you push them off or do you wrap your arms of love around them and say, come on, son, come on, daughter, let me show you the way. That's what God wants to do to you right now. It's your heavenly father. His arms are open wide, and he is standing at the door and knocking at your heart today. And he's saying, it's okay if you haven't been relentless for me in the past because today's a new day, and I come to start a new work. Amen. You can give the Lord a big round of applause today so that we get the message of conviction but not condemnation. The enemy wants to condemn you and say it's all over. You've messed all this up that we're talking about. But Jesus wants to convict you and say, let's get it right today. Hey, let's do this different. That's the message you need to hear. So considering all that Christ is and, and what he has done for you, Paul says, for that, I want to lay hold of what Christ has laid hold of me. Look at that passage. It says, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. That is it. That's why we're relentless because of what Christ has done for us. Paul is determined to win the race. And, and you see this kind of word say, I press on. And, and this alluding to this, this pushing forward, this relentlessness. 
And the Greek word translated press on was talking about a sprinter who aggressively goes toward the finish line. So I want you to think about that. Are you aggressively pursuing Jesus? Aggressively. It's a changed mindset. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. We had brought it up in a passage a few weeks ago, and the Lord had brought it here today. And I think it's so important that we read it again. Paul, again, speaking to the church at Corinth, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself become disqualified. Paul knew that when you're running a race, not everybody's going to finish. Not everybody's going to finish well. And not everybody is going to obtain what they're really after. You know, I think of, of Scripture that says broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And few there on that on it. When you think of narrow and broad, what percentages start to come up in your mind? I want you to think about that for just a minute. Maybe you've never really thought about this. When you think of broad and narrow, it's nowhere near 50-50, is it? But you got over half the people in this world claiming to be Christians, over half the people in America anyway. So what does that mean? Somebody's deceived. Somebody's running a race and they're getting out of line, and they're not going to finish. They're not going to obtain a prize. I want you to think of narrow. What's narrow? I mean, and, and there's no, you know, objective, objectivity of percentage in the Bible, so we can only speculate. But in our minds, I'm thinking narrow. I'm definitely thinking, well, if I got uh, uh, two, two big sections, if I got a section here, and I got to think narrow and wide, I'm thinking 75%, 25%, 80%, 20%. may not even be narrow. Is it 10%? What's narrow? I want you to think about that. Do you really have Jesus? Have you really surrendered your life to him? Narrow, broad. Are you on the path? Have you set your life on the narrow path? I don't mean have you come to church. I don't mean do you know some Bible verses. I don't mean... Do you have fun singing Amazing Grace? I mean, do you really know Jesus? Have you set your life on a relentless pursuit of him, surrendered to him through the finished work of the cross and let him do his work? That's what Paul was after. I strike a blow to my body. Nothing else matters. I'm not running aimlessly. All my efforts not beating the air because I truly have Christ and I truly have a new mindset, a new direction, a new goal in my life, and it's nothing of this world. It's beautiful. I think of this type of effort, this exertion. If you think of max effort to win a race, to press on, and I'm going to be honest, no one puts forth that kind of effort 
unless you believe in why you're running, unless you know how to run, and unless you see the value of why you run, right? Can we all agree to that? I'm not going to give max effort on anything in my life unless I know why I'm doing it, unless I know how to do it, and I see the value in doing it. That's important. So what's the why? We see it here in this passage. It's for what Jesus has already laid hold of me. That's my why. Christ has already sacrificed and gave it all. That's my motivation. That's my new life. Now I want to live for him. He gave his life for me. Now I'm going to live for him. That's your why. And then how do you do it? Well, that's why you got to get in the word. It's going to show you how to run the race. It's going to show you how to run so that you're not beating the air aimlessly like Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Do you get that? That's why it's so important. And then you see the value in it because we're obtaining something. We're leaving a spiritual legacy. We're passing the baton to somebody. That's what you want to think about. That's the value of this. It's not just about you and what you feel like. What are the people looking up to you, seeing in you that you're passing on to them? Make sure you're passing the baton right and you're running the race well. Men, that's why it's so important for us to get together as believers and followers of Christ. Because I'm going be, to be honest, man, because I'm the same way. I'm just as good by myself as I am around people. That's just how God made me. I can be out hunting and fishing by myself, and I'm totally fine just as much as I am with I'm around people. But there's a danger in that if I'm not careful where I need other godly men, and you do as well. You may feel like you can just be like a T-Rex dinosaur or be like the lion. I'm going to hunt on my own, baby. I don't, need no, I don't need no pack. What are you talking about? But, guys, that's where the enemy wants us. He wants to isolate us. And he wants to, to set us as an as a isolated vessel where, first of all, where we're not able to iron sharpen an iron, like Proverbs says, and then we're not getting what we really were made and created to have, and that's fellowship with other godly men. Why do you think Jesus got 12 disciples and not just walked around by himself? Ever think about that? Why was it so important for that? Guys, we got to get together. But you know what breaks my heart? We're so good as a society and as a church in seeing the importance of getting our kids plugged in, aren't we? I mean, we'll leave a church and go to a church based on where our kids feel plugged in. We go to the church that has all the kids' programs and this, that, and the other. And that's fine. I'm not discounting kids' ministry. But we'll, we'll do a kids' event here, and we'll have 150 kids plus show up, right? Everybody sees the value in getting our kids plugged in. We'll have a women's Bible study here. We'll have 40, 50 women show up. We'll have a men's Bible study, and we're doing good if we get 20. I want you to just to see that for just a second. And then I want you to hear a statistic. Because it's flip-flop. We push our kids in magnitude. Our women well attend. Our men scarcely attend anything that grows them individually in Christ. Listen to these statistics. You want to see how important it is for godly male leadership? If a child gets saved first in the home, because I used to think this as we were, you know, planting a church, I wanted to have a powerful kids ministry, a powerful youth ministry, and I still do. That's still a, a, a great focus. But I used to think, Lord, if, if the kids can get saved, if they can get on fire for church, they can go home and bug the mom and dad to come to church, right? 
And I was thinking that would be a great thing. And that sounded good, right? I mean, that sounds good, and I'm sure that still happens from time to time. But that statistically is not what happens. If a child gets saved first in the home, do you know what the statistic is of the rest of the family coming to Christ? 3.5%. If the mom gets saved first in the home, do you know what the statistic is for the rest of the family coming to Christ? 17%. You ready, men? If the dad gets saved first in the home, do you know what the statistic is for the rest of the family coming to Jesus? 93%. That is Jesus screaming through his word, men. I need you. I need you. I'm going to be honest. I want a great kids ministry. I want a great youth ministry. But that, to me, makes me think maybe we should focus a little more on men's ministry, on reaching the men in our community. Hey, that's why we want to develop this complex one day. We already have archery course out here. We want to do all that. Maybe we should start to focus. How do we get the men, the men that, that aren't saved, the men that aren't in church, that's who we're after. That's who we want. we want. We want to reach this area for Jesus. I don't want to just squat in here and be another church on 811 and we have this great little group. I want to reach the community for Christ. Do you? I want to reach those that are lost. I want, I want to see men get on fire for Jesus. And it starts in here. How can we expect the men out there to get saved and get on fire for Jesus if we won't get on fire for it in here? Man, it's about time we step up to the plate. Men, own your responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. It's time you own it. I'm not saying you got to attend every single men's thing we do here. Gosh, I can't even do that. I'd kill myself if I went to everything we did here. But you can come some because a lot of you don't come at all. Where you at? Where's your priority? Are you relentlessly pursuing Jesus or are you relentlessly pursuing yourself? You're going to be passing the baton to somebody. We need to set the example. It's Paul's why. I love it. Because even Christ said in Romans 8 through, through Paul again, he said, For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God wants to conform you into the image of Christ so that other people see Jesus in you, especially your family and your kids. God saved us, not just so we could go to heaven and punch a ticket. That is not what salvation's about. He saved you so that right now you could be conformed to the image of his son so that other people can see Christ in you. That's why you got saved. Was that the reason why you got saved? Because it should be. And it should be a new desire in you now and a new hunger if you truly have the spirit of God in you. But Satan wants to choke it out. He wants to grow those weeds up. He's so good at choking out that desire, that spiritual hunger and desire. So you can't let him have it. You have to relentlessly pursue. Second thing we need to do to run the race of a spiritual legacy is keep our eyes on the prize. If an athlete ever stands a chance at winning a race, he has to keep focused. He has to keep a, a focus outside of the event during the offseason he has to keep focused in season and especially during the race. So how are we preparing? How are we keeping ourselves focused? And you think of, uh, especially like in, a, in another race where you have other competitors around you, you have a crowd, you have sometimes obstacles in the way, you have to keep focused on the goal that's at hand. Spiritually, what does that look like? 
We have the world around us. We have everybody doing everything, and it looks cool and looks fun, young people, right? But we have to cast off that distraction and keep our eyes focused on Christ and what the Lord has laid in front of us. We have obstacles all in the way. We have circumstances in our life that want to knock us down. But we have to stay focused. That's why Paul said, I don't even regard myself as laying hold of it yet. But one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to forget what's behind and I'm going to reach forward toward what lies ahead. Are you forgetting what's behind today and reaching forward to what Christ has ahead of you? Will you do that today? I love, I love, love, love this example. Because how do we avoid these distractions of the world? It's by developing two attitudes that are laid forward right here. First one's obvious, forget your past. As a runner approaches the starting line in a race, he needs to cast off what happened in the last race. If he didn't run well, or if he hasn't performed well in the weeks past in practice, he has to forget all that and focus on the task at hand now. Forget what's behind, even success. So often we know we should forget failures, but even success gets in our head. Well, I did so good in the past. I don't have to focus this hard this time. Wrong. Satan loves that. He's about to really knock you off balance now when you get ahead of yourself. You can't focus on just where you've been, what you've done. You have to focus on what God has for you right now. Forget what's behind. Second attitude we need to have as we reach for the goal is, is forget is reach for the goal, is a, a, a reaching attitude. So he, he says, I reach for what's ahead. I reach for the goal. And you get this imagery of a sprinter coming down the last few steps of the race. And you know how there's so, a lot of times there's a ribbon at the end of the race, and the runner at the end, do they slow up at the end? Say, boy, I've just run hard, so now these last few steps. No, you run harder, don't you? And you run harder even so much that you do what? You lean. Guys, that's how we should be. We have to not only forget what's behind us and it's a past, we have to lead. And as a runner comes down those last few stretches, oftentimes there's a couple people right beside him competing, isn't there? I mean, everybody's really gassing it out at the end. And what can that runner not do? As he's going forward and leaning for the pole, what is he taught not to do? Not look who's beside him. Because if he takes his eyes off of what's ahead, it slows him down. Guys, that's what the message we need to get today as we run. We can't not only look behind us, we can't look around us. We can't, we can't look at what's going on in our world and let it discourage us spiritually. We can't look at what's going on in the United States of America and in the 21st century American church and let it discourage us and think all hope is lost. We have to keep our eyes set and focused on Christ, who has already won the victory for us. Perfect, amen. Go ahead and give me some glory. Because the perfect imagery of that is this. I love this example because my boy's big into baseball, so I've gotten big into baseball. I always grew up like more in football, but man, it's just beautiful, the, the imagery and stuff and, and watching him play. I love it. But one thing that's beautiful to me that just has been a, just a great example is you think about a home run. When the guy hits a home run and the ball's over the fence, it's already done, isn't it? But what did they make the player do? Run the bases. The point's already there. They've already put it on the board. We got to run the bases. Hey, guys, spiritually, 
Jesus has already knocked it over the fence at the cross in the empty tomb. But he wants you and me to run the bases. Can we run the bases? Can we take it? And it doesn't matter if the first baseman tries to trip us and the shortstop tries to elbow us and third baseman tackles us. It can, we can have all the obstacles we want. The point is still on the board and we're still coming home. And that's the mindset we have to have. Keep your eyes on the prize. Don't look around you. This Greek word for reaching forward is an intense stretching to the limit of one's capacity. It's all you've got. One more inch of straining and you would fall on your face. That's how we've got to strain for the goal. It's a beautiful imagery that Paul gives. Number three, third thing we do to strive for a spiritual legacy is we have to run on spiritual fuel. We don't have the strength on our own to do this. We can't complete this on our own. As a matter of fact, the Christian life, the Christian walk, how God has called us to live it is not just hard, it's impossible on your own. It's impossible. You need spirit fuel. You need that motivation of the spirit. Why? We talked about it. For the sanctification process. Because Christ-likeness is both the goal and the prize we're pursuing. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, but we all... With unveiled face. I love it. We all with unveiled face. What does that mean? We're all just exposed before the Lord. No, no walls, no hiding. It says, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. It's the spirit of the Lord that drives us. And we see this imagery of Christ and we're unveiled before him, sh showing our shame and showing that, that we have fallen short of his glory and we constantly do. But that is what I'm focused on is what's in the mirror. And his spirit drives me toward that. Number four is a hunger for holiness. If we're going to leave a spiritual legacy, we have to have a hunger for holiness. And this is a change of attitude a change of thinking, which leads to a change of heart. Because we say it so many times here at Impact, when your heart changes, what else changes? Your actions. What goes into your brain, eyes, ears, or everything you think, what you put in your mind gets downloaded to your heart. What's in your heart comes out in your walk. That's why the Bible is clear. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Do you think with your heart? No, what does that mean? Think with your mind. But the Bible knows that what's in your mind is downloaded to your heart. So what you truly internalize and download into your heart is going to come out in your walk and who you are. So we have to watch what we put in. And we have to keep a hunger for holiness. And this hunger, this desire that we see in Paul in this passage says, man, it's not that I've already attained it. And he says it two different times. That, that, hey, that I don't have it yet. I don't count myself to have apprehended it. He says it again in verse 13. But one thing I do, again, forgetting what's behind, reaching for this ahead, I press on. There's a hunger that he still hasn't achieved what he's after. And that's the beautiful thing of sanctification. You've never arrived in, in Jesus. Did you know that? Even the pastor, especially the pastor, you better not think you've ever arrived you better walk right off this stage and go do something else. 
None of us have ever arrived. We're always striving to be more like Christ in every single way. I can, my mom and dad are here. My wife can hear. They can come up and tell you all kinds of stories about how I still got some work to do. You know what I'm saying? Don't ask them any stories, all right? Just, just trust me. But, guys, we're never arrived. There's always something more for us to stay hungry for. And then Paul even says toward the end of this passage, we need to think this way, and we need to have this mind. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. If you're not thinking this way, then God's going to kind of jack you up a little bit. Hebrews 12 talks about, hey, I discipline those I love. Why? Because he wants to guide you in a new direction. James 1, trials and tribulations strengthen our faith. We could go on and on. But this picture of staying hungry. And we know nobody's perfect. And that's where the attitude that we should have and know that we should tremble before a holy God who is holy and not use it as an excuse because I mess up to just continue in sin. But that's a lot of the theme that we see in people today who call themselves a follower of Christ. It's like you throw up your hands and be like, I'll never measure up anyway, so I might as well just keep doing what I'm doing. And it's such the wrong attitude where Paul says you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. Romans 12, 1 and 2 calls us that, you know, not to be conformed any longer to the patterns of this word, but to be transformed by renewing of our mind. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says we're a new creation in Christ if we've truly come to Christ. It's all about a new walk, a new talk. It's the process of sanctification. But here's the beautiful thing. There's always a lingering imperfection in us with sanctification that we're never truly arrived, that we're always striving for something more. Because our command is be holy as I am holy, right? That's what 1 Peter said. Matthew 5 says, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So there's the goal. It's an unachievable goal in the flesh, but it's a striving goal for us. So we're always falling short, but striving for more. It's so dangerous to think otherwise, to think that you're perfect, that you've arrived, and that you don't need to do any more sanctification in your life. We need to stay hungry. Number five, we need to persevere under pressure and obliterate obstacles. Persevere under pressure and obliterate obstacles. We'll read Romans 7, 21 through 24. It kind of closes up that last thought of staying hungry and, 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 and staying uh, focused for something more and overcoming obstacles. Paul says in Romans 7, it says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. In other words, I've got this desire. I delight in his law. I want to live according to his word. He says, but then I see another law in my members, in my body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So there's obstacles in the way, and the obstacle is our flesh who wants to, that wants to lead us a different direction. So in a way, we're hemmed in. We've got the world around us that, that's enticing and tempting. We've got an enemy that is coming against us and trying to knock us off balance. And then we have the flesh within us that wants to pull us toward worldliness. Those are obstacles that we must overcome through Christ. 
that we must set ourselves of a different mindset to overcome. Persevere. Because no one can win the race with intermittent effort. No one can win the race by quitting when things get tough. This Greek word here says keep living in here. We're striving. Refers to walking a line. And we can't veer to the left or to the right because there's going to be obstacles in the way. It may be easier to look at a way around the obstacle, but God wants you to trust him that he's going to make a way through it and over it. You keep the straight line. Going back to our race analogy, when you run a relay race, there's lanes on the track, isn't there? And as you run that race, you have to stay in your lane. What happens if you get out of your lane? Disqualified. You're done. It's over. Guys, Christ wants us to stay in the lane. And he is going to move the obstacles that we face if we trust him. We need to keep our way. You know, I think of a, a story in a relay race that I heard, and I don't know if it's true or not, but it fits this point, that there was this track team, this collegiate track team that was in a competition, and they were in this relay race, and they had a strong team and they felt like they had a chance to win but they knew there was a couple other teams that really had a chance as well and it was going to take their best effort it was going to take perfection out of all of them so the first guy took off from the starting block and runs a beautiful lap to his run hands the baton off to the second guy and they're tied for first place on the first leg great start the second guy takes off and he runs as hard as he could. And he ends up beating the other guy as he hands the baton off to the third guy. And he was thinking in his mind, we've got this now, because he thought of himself as the weaker runner. And if he led his team into the third spot, he knew that the fourth guy, which is always usually your strongest runner, the fourth guy was a previous state champion, had records in, in all his events. So they knew the, way the race was won. Third guy, all he had to do was just hold the spot. So the third guy takes the baton and he takes off and he's running the curve and he's strong and he's in first place and he gets down the straightaway, coming to the last leg to pass off to the fourth guy who was just gonna annihilate the rest of the event. And the guy slows up and then walks off to the side and sits down in the grass. And extremely worried, the guy, the, the second runner knew something bad must have happened. He must have tore a muscle. He, he must have something wrong with his heart, with his breathing. Something's bad for him to do that. So he runs across and he says, man, what's wrong? What's wrong? And the guy said this. He said, I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it today. I didn't feel like running anymore. So I sat down. What happens if that was us spiritually? We start off strong. Maybe you had grandparents that started your family off strong. Maybe you had a dad 
that was a great example. And then the baton was passed to you. And you have a fourth one after you. You have your kids. But men, we just get tired in the middle of the race and say, man, I just don't feel like running no more. We give up. How disappointing would that be, not only to your family, but to a holy God who's already won the victory for you. And he just wants you to run the bases. Don't quit. Don't give up, Dad. Don't give up, Mom. Don't give up, young people. Finish what you've started. We have this beautiful promise that we've already read in Philippians. Philippians 1, 6, it says, He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. But you have to resolve in your heart not to quit and not to give up. You have to be relentless in your pursuit. You have to stay hungry for righteousness. Resolve in your heart that you're going to finish strong. Colossians 3.23 tells us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Do you do what you do for Jesus or do you do what you do for yourself? Start doing it for the Lord because then it's going to be a different motivation to not quit. Because he didn't quit on you. Ephesians 3.20 says, that we're looking toward him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. I want you to think about that. God could do more with your life than you could even ask or imagine. Will you run the race for him? Will you resolve in your heart not to quit? You've passed a verse coming in and out of this land every single week, and I don't know if you've noticed it at the top of this sign, that it says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, what? All things are possible. And that's a great example, and that's like a, a theme verse for me of what God's doing in this place. With what God's doing here, with man, this is impossible what God's done. Impossible. Makes no sense. But with him, all things are possible. But did you know the same is true in your life? That God's longing to do the impossible in your life if you will run the race and not give up. Isaiah 43, 19 says, For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. God is doing something new in you right now. Do you see it? Don't give up. Run the race. Look to pass the baton. Jesus already knocked it over the fence. Don't quit halfway around the bases. Bring it home for Jesus today. Galatians 6, 9, as we close, says, Don't ever grow weary in doing good, for in a proper time you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. In proper time, what does that mean? I love that part. That's a little part that's kind of neglected. Because we want everything in our time, right? We want everything like... Man, if I'm, if I'm at work for you, Lord, I, I want to I see the fruit. I want to see the benefit. But God says it's in proper time. What's proper time? It's his time. And if I know anything about Jesus in his proper time, it's very infrequently anything before the last second. <laughs> because he wants you to trust him. He wants to see, are you going to go to the lengths and not quit for him and do and be everything he's called you to be. Leave a legacy today that will echo through eternity as the baton is passed from you to somebody else, to somebody else, to somebody else, until the final whistle blows. It's the fourth quarter. 
It's not time to fall asleep on the couch spiritually. It's time to get up and run the race.